the Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Those are the first two verses of Psalm 50, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, April the 29th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing to look at lessons from the Book of Wisdom, which is a book from the Apocrypha, also from Colossians and the Gospel of Luke. If you remember the, the argument, if you will, of the Book of Wisdom, which we believe to be written by Solomon, which is a book that we don't consider part of the Scriptures proper, um, is part of the, the books that we call the Apocrypha, and I can give you a little more information on that in the uh, description box. But they, the point of wisdom, the Book of Wisdom, is the same as the book of Ecclesiastes, which is to point us beyond the things of earth, beyond the things that that we see with our eyes every day, the things that that appeal to us so greatly uh, in in every single way. Because God made a good earth. It's fallen, and so it is not what it ought to be. But even that which is fallen retains the image of the Creator and points to the good Creator, which is exactly the argument that Paul makes in Romans 1. Uh, in making the argument that no one is innocent of transgression because everybody can know certain things about the invisible God from the things that he has made visible around us in creation. And, And in both Ecclesiastes and the Book of Wisdom, Solomon argues that those things are so tempting to us, and yet at the same time that they only point beyond themselves to something that's greater. And in the same way that Plato, for instance, in philosophy, argues that the things of earth are simply shadows of the perfected forms that are actually not visible to us. And so what he what he argues is there are ideals that are represented by the things that we know. And so Paul is going to use that same kind of imagery in the book of Colossians is the reason I'm pointing any of that philosophical um, thought out in this place, and but it's what so- Solomon is pointing us to is to say that, that we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, and if we do that, then we won't miss the mark. And what he, his argument in the passage that we have today has to do with everything's passing away, that ultimately nothing leaves much of a mark on the earth. And he uses examples like a ship that passes through the waves of the water. Once it's gone by, no trace of it can be found. Or a bird that flies through the air, there's no token of her way to be found. And then uh, also with an arrow shot at a mark, and it parts the air as it goes through. But you can't tell where it went through. It's not like some sort of cartoon where you can see that. And he said, so even so, we, in like manner, as soon as we were born, began to draw to our end and had no sign of virtue to show, but were consumed in our own wickedness. It's a pretty hopeless, pessimistic idea uh, if you just leave the argument at that. But that's not where Solomon leaves the argument. He makes the argument and makes it persuasively, in my mind, Anybody who's ever lived can can um, see this argument and the point of this argument and know that it's more or less true that we leave almost no mark behind unless we're some great personage in history. Uh, we don't leave much of a mark behind that people can see, but it doesn't mean we weren't there, and it doesn't mean we had no impact. Those are two different things. 
um, it's just difficult to see it. But it did pass through the air. It did pass through the sea. And it changed things because it passed through there. And the same with our lives. Our lives change things by passing through this earth. If they didn't mean anything, then God wouldn't have given them to us. He wouldn't have put us here in this place. And so we are intended to matter. We may not be able to see clearly the impact we had in our lives, but it's there nonetheless. But he points us to what's beyond that. And the mark we leave then, if we keep our eyes fixed on God, if we keep our eyes fixed on on him in all things, and we pursue him in all things, and we live lives that are glorifying to him, if we live in such a way that we keep his commandments, for instance, then we do leave a mark on the earth. We leave a mark that, that can be seen in the legacy of the people whose lives were affected by ours, by the way that they saw us and changed their own lives based on what they see as blessedness in the way that we lived and the correct way of living. And so he, he continues on through and says, the righteous live forevermore. Their reward also is with the Lord and the care of them is with the Most High. Therefore shall they receive a glorious kingdom and a beautiful crown from the Lord's hand. For with his right hand shall he cover them and his arm he shall protect them. And then it speaks about the armor of God the stuff that Paul talks about. He shall put on righteousness like a breastplate and true judgment instead of a helmet. He shall take holiness for an invisible shield. And what he's getting at is is that ultimately that God sorts out right and wrong. And so all this stuff gets redeemed in the end and he takes care of everything that was wrong in this world, all the sin in this world, and he wraps that up and it goes away and then only leaves behind the new creation. Jesus in the gospel is going to the same point. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple's not above his master, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that's the point of being discipled, actually. It's to become like the one who discipled you. It means you imbibe all their teachings, whether that's in verbal form or in their way of life. You, you take in all of those things. And, and we all do that throughout our lives. We, I, I hear sometimes that, that my wife and my oldest son will say certain things that sound exactly like one another. And I know there are probably places in my life, if you were observant and you knew the people that I have known and the people that I have respected and considered to be mentors, you would probably hear in my voice, in some of my expressions or, or even some of my physical uh, kinds of things, you would, you would see those people and the impact that they left, although it would be imperceptible to most people. You would have to know us both to know that. But Jesus says a disciple is going to be exactly like his master. That's the point of being discipled. It's, it's a way of teaching you to think like the master. It doesn't mean that your words and all you do is repeat his words. No, he's taught you how to think in a very specific way. And because he taught you how to think in that way, now you're going to interpret everything else in Scripture through those same lenses. Now, you can take it further. You can do different things with it. But ultimately, everything is derivative from the way you were. And, and that's the point of, um, of everything that Jesus was trying to do and everything Paul was trying to do. He, he, he would say, Paul would say, imitate us as we imitate Christ. And it's important for us to, to recognize that what we are trying to be is Jesus has shown us the proper way to live. So if we go back to the statement that I made about Plato's forms and substances, then what you'd see is, is that Jesus is the perfected humanity. 
that came down out of heaven, and we are to model ourselves on that. If we want to know what a true humanity is, then we would model ourselves on Jesus. We would live the way he did, which is fully compliant with the law of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he didn't just give us an example. He also gave us his spirit to take us and guide us and lead us into all truth in that way. And so what he's saying here in this next passage, he says, um, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? And, and then he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out that's in your brother's eye. And it's important for us to do that and always to remember that, that the sins that, are, that we most need to deal with are the sins in our own lives, not the sins in our brother's lives. Um, we've, we've got to be good at allowing God to convict us of sin, knowing that conviction and condemnation are two different things. It's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean there's no conviction of sin in our lives. And we have to be quick to allow him to convict us of sin and to lead us in the different direction. Sometimes that stuff is so ingrained in us that it's difficult for us to even see it as sin because it's something that's so normal and natural in our lives. And it takes some work, actually, to be able to see those things as sin rather than just the way things are. But God can change even the deep things in your life, even the things that feel so ingrained that you can't do anything about them. God can change people utterly. I've seen that done again and again when people come to the Lord and truly humble and submit themselves to him. And and he just goes on to say that, that the good tree bears bad, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bear, bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes and grapes aren't plucked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I guess the main thing that we need to be wary of and, and aware of all the time is what is it that we're filling our heart with? Are we taking the time and the care to make sure that we're filling our minds and our hearts with him, with his word? Or are we so enmeshed in other things that we don't have time for him? And so we're spending all our time doing other things. And, and it's important that we keep those things in perspective because if we're going to bear witness to him with our lives, then we've got to be able to be filling ourselves with his word and his goodness and meditating on that. So Jesus reaches out at that point and says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, it's, you're not meant just to have a foundation that you build nothing on. So if you built your house on a foundation, then you built beyond the foundation. The foundation, though, has got to be Christ. That's what we're told again and again. And so if that foundation is him, then we build the rest of our house on that. But it doesn't mean that, that he is not part of the rest of that building. And that's the really, truly important part. The foundation is the critical part of the house to keep it from collapsing. But at the same time, the entire house, Paul says later, needs to be made of those same valuable things. The valuable materials that go into the foundation need to be the same valuable materials that make up the house itself. 
And the foundation is critical to everything. It's important that we get the foundation right. But once you've built the foundation, you don't abandon those materials and go do something else and spend the rest of your life doing other things. Your foundation is of no value at all if your house is built of poor materials. In the Colossians passage, Paul is just very clear. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Christ is the be-all and end-all for us. We're, we're not intended for anything other than him because he took all that stuff, all our sins and everything else, and he gave us a new heart and a new mind and the power of his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And, and so Paul says, don't let people tell you this is about what you eat or what you drink or whether you keep this festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. No, 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 he says. This is where he gets into the philosophical thing. They're shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If you want to know what reality is, he says, look at Jesus. Don't look at all these other things. Those things are immaterial in the grand scheme of things. Jesus is the only thing that's truly material. And if you focus and fix on him and stay on him, then all things hang together in him as well. He says, don't let anybody disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. He says, don't worry about all these other rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. Listen to the Spirit. Follow Jesus in all things. Don't worry about people who say things like, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, according to human precepts and teaching. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but there's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He says, it's the mind that's the problem. It's not the touching, the tasting, and the handling of things. No, 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 it's not that, he says. It's, it, this has everything in the world to do with your mind and your heart. What is it your heart is set upon? Whatever your heart's set on, that tends to be the thing that drives and controls your life. So how are you spending your time? I don't know how many times I've asked this, because I'm asking myself in, in large measure, but I'm also asking you, how do you spend your time, time? What does your day look like? What does your week look like? What does your month look like? How much time have you given to the Lord during that period of time, or are other things just more important? He can wait, but they can't. Solomon, Jesus, and Paul would all say to you, you've got the wrong thing set at the center of your life, and you need to make a change in that. You need to evaluate that sin before you evaluate any other sin in your life, and you need to set your life straight and get your priorities right before any of the things that you're hoping for or desiring 
can ever come to be.